Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. This is Ciara Manova, your host, and in this week's episode, we will be talking about a psychological theory concerning relationships between human, known as the attachment theory. We will dive deep into discussing the different types of attachment styles one can have, the fear of love or even the addiction to love, what kind of partners we seek out, and how to feel secure in relationships. Our beautiful guest speaker today is Nasreen Maktabi, a licensed psychotherapist who has her own private practice based in Toronto, Canada. And Nasreen specializes in attachment and trauma, relationship issues, low self-esteem, women's mental health, to name a few, which are all going to be related to some of the things that we will talk about today. So I'm very excited for Nasreen to share her experience with us in defining attachment styles and its relation to our childhood and then adult relationships. Nasreen, welcome and thank you so much for being here today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me, Sierra. It's lovely to be your guest. So let's talk about the theme, which I would say has been very common. So it's been a theme now for quite a number of my episodes, how our childhood can give us clues into how we are, what we like, and what we don't like as adults. And this essentially extends also to the people we surround ourselves with, right? Meaning the relationships that we put ourselves into and the people we form bonds with. So when talking about attachment, how does it tie with our childhood experience? So in around the time of World War II, I believe, uh, there's two psychological researchers. Uh, His Mm -hmm. name was Bowlby, and she's a Canadian psychologist. Her name is Ainworth. They did some research in orphanages in the UK for children who couldn't be with their parents. And they were able to identify the attachment styles. So there is four attachment styles. The secure attachment is when the child feels comfortable with their parents. And when the parent holds them, they feel they can calm down. And then there is a second type, which is anxious attachment. This type uh, was left and neglected by the parent because of circumstances in the war. So what, and they would go to orphanages. So they, they observed the children and they found that their attachment was different. They couldn't calm down when the parent came or they would be very scared of strangers. So basically our attachment style really starts from the minute we leave our mother's womb, from birth to six weeks. This is what happens in those months dictates really how comfortable we are with our emotions, how comfortable we are with other people, and how we attach the nature of our attachment, if we're able to feel safe with someone or not. So basically, I'll tell you. So Bessel van der Kolk, he's a, a Dutch psychiatrist. He worked in psychiatric units with people who have schizophrenia and other things. And he did a lot of research using fMRI on neuroplasticity in the brain. So what happens, he, he merged this attachment theory to our brain, how, how the neurons link together. Let's, let me put it to you in another way. Let's say when you're building a building. In the beginning, you put the basis of the building. 
right? So when we're children, the way we attach to our parents, that's the building blocks. And it becomes the neural wiring of the brain. So it becomes how we relate to other people, what kind of people we're attracted to. And then when we become older, really we seek the same environment that feels familiar to us, to that when we were children, right? You have some women who always tell you, I'm always attracted to unavailable men. Or for example, some abused women, they always enter into abusive relationships and they stay in the relationships. And this is familiar. So that's attachment is, is, you know, you can say it's four distinct types, but every person has their own type of attachment, their own way of attaching. So Mm -hmm. that's how when we're kids, whatever we, we feel as home when we're children, we reproduce, right? So because our neural wiring is the same, it's like a building, right? You build it, it stands up straight. So Bessel van der Kolk, he did research and he found that there is something called neuroplasticity. As we grow older and we, get, we enter into these unsatisfactory relationships, if we have disrupted attachment as children, we become unsatisfied. And people keep trying to repeat the same cycle, wanting to change. So when they Mm -hmm. become aware of their dysfunctional behavior, like doing the same thing, expecting something different to happen, then they realize, okay, what's going on? They They have awareness. They, sometimes with therapy, most likely with therapy, they, they, they discover that they have disrupted attachment and then they try to change. So that's neuroplasticity is when Bessel discovered that it's actually possible to change our attachment style, ourselves, our behavior, but it takes a lot of work. For example, um, Harville Hendricks, who wrote the book, Getting the Love You Want. And in mm-hmm. his book, he talks about Freud, how he talks, Freud talks about how, you know, the repetition compulsion. People right. keep going into the same situation, expecting something different. So we subconsciously, and I've seen it in over 10 years of private practice, my clients recreating without knowing it, the same relationship they had with their parents and their family of origin or their parents had together. They unknowingly repeat it and get into it, unsatisfactory relationships. And they're trying to get something different. So in this book, Harvard Hendricks talks about, you know, getting the love you want. Mm-hmm. People enter these relationships and then, but they want something that they, they're not getting. Yeah. It's like you yeah. said, until we heal, we kind of accept what is familiar, right? And not really what we deserve. And then, like you mentioned, those attachments explain why we attract the kind of partners that we do attract. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about, um, before we kind of delve into the relationships aspect of it, I do want to talk about the four main types of attachment styles. And uh, I'll I'll leave you to give an introduction to them in more detail. Sure. So the first one, like I said, is secure attachment. Yeah. This is when someone was born, they had skin to skin contact with their mother and father. 
This is very important because our nervous system is everywhere, including our skin. So when, imagine the baby is in her mother's womb, she's bathed in the mother. Suddenly she's in the air, skin to skin. She comes back to her original home inside the womb. She's feeling the skin. She can hear the heartbeat. She has the warmth versus the air or the clothes around her, right? Mm -hmm. It's very important, skin to skin, feeling the heartbeat. That's why they tell you, you know, breastfeeding, attachment, uh, attachment, parenting. The child stays close to the mother uh, the first six months. You know, she wraps the baby around her. So, and in secure attachment, the mother is very in tune to the baby's cries. So the baby cries, the mother comes, answers the call. The baby then, then the mother questions, says, is it your, is it that you're wet? Is it that you're hungry? Is it that you're in pain? What's going on? So already the mother is connecting and is helping the child understand themselves better. So this connection with the parent helps the child connect to their own body because the child comes out of the womb, not con- does not understand what is this. I was sleeping and happy. Now what is this? I need to pee. I, I'm hungry. What's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So when the mother is very in tune, you start developing the secure attachment in the six months. And then as the baby grows, the baby becomes adventurous. The mother and the parents are not too controlling, too protective, and they're not too neglecting. So they are they they provide like a secure base. This is what it's called. So they're there and they watch the child do the adventure, but they say, Listen, I'm here for you whenever you want me. Mm-hmm. You know? So the baby discovers. So this is the first secure attachment. And about 50% of the population have that. But you have to know that, you know, parents try the best they can. And there's always circumstances. People get sick. There are wars. There's work. So many things happen. And now the other part is insecure attachment. Now, insecure attachment is divided into two, anxious and avoidant. And again, Ainsworth and Bowlby, they did actually, after they found out about the attachment style, they went to the labs and they recreated the studies. The strange situation, right? Exactly. So you know that. So Mm. the, the anxious attachment, the child, you know, there was not enough consistency. Sometimes when the baby cries, sometimes the mother answers, sometimes she leaves the baby. So the baby is like, it's survival, right? When you're a child, like, you, you don't know when you're six months, you, you have a pain in your stomach, I'm going to, it's survival, I'm going to die. So the baby keeps crying, keeps crying, keeps crying. Sometimes the mother answers, sometimes doesn't answer. So already you have this regulated nervous system getting ingrained, mm. anxious. Where is mother? If I scream louder, she's going to come close to me. I need her to survive. So then this type of child, they discovered even when the mother comes close, their heart rate in the studies is still high. And they keep crying. Now the avoidant, who's for me the other side of the 
insecure. So one side is the anxious, the other mm-hmm. side is avoidant. So the avoidant has learned that to keep mother happy and close by, I mean, I'm saying mother, it's primary caregiver, I have to be silent. So like to get my needs met, I cannot disrupt and yell and scream a lot. And I have to find my way to get my own needs met. Because And generally they become independent quite quickly, right? If I'm not yeah, mistaken. Those types are workaholics and they're scared of intimacy. Right. Right. So those the the avoidant types. Now the anxious types are the complete opposite. Mm. They they are capable, but they feel they need to reach out for people more and more for help when they grow older also. Yeah. Sometimes the avoidant might have had a parent that is very, it could be like an abusive parent, almost to a overprotective and breaking the boundaries of the child a lot. Because this right. all ties in with boundaries because we think kids don't have boundaries. No, they do. And then the last yeah. one is is the ambivalent attachment. It's someone who's sometimes avoidant, sometimes anxious, but also very scared of intimacy and avoids. But to be honest, I think many people are ambivalent. Very few people. I mean, ambivalent is has more even severe reactions than just your straight up anxious avoidant. Mm-hmm. So ambivalent can be very complicated. But did you say it's the least common or the most common? No, the most common is secure. Yes, um, but from the kind of dysregulated. So it's insecure, anxious, or insecure, avoidant. The reality is they're both anxious. But one, mm. one expresses their anxiety by avoiding, and one expresses their anxiety by screaming and seeking proximity. As you know, avoidance is anxiety, right? Right, right. It's very interesting. What What would you say is the biggest fear of um, someone who has these kind of attachment style? Like, for example, I know that people who are anxiously attached have a fear of abandonment, right? Like mm-hmm. that is at the core of kind of what they're afraid of. Um, is there a certain form of like certain fears that people with different attachment styles have? So definitely. So the avoidant and the anxious both have fear of abandonment. It's one mm. of the fear. However, how they express it is different. Mm. So the, the, the anxious, which is called in an insulting way in society, needy, which it's not really needy. It's very complicated. More than just this True. word, right? It's this person who feels that really it's not the adult because the adult If the adult is left, you're going to survive. But it's the inner child inside the adult who's in control of the behavior and thus projects this attachment style. That that part of the person is always on the lookout Mm -hmm. for any inconsistency and any breach to scream and yell, you're leaving me, where are you? Absolutely. This is the anxious, which, which, you know, people might find too much. Now, the avoidant is <laughs> going to feel very overwhelmed with an anxious person. 
True, true. Because what happens is the avoidant is gonna over register the screams for attachment from their partner. And mm. it's gonna see it's too much. So the way it expresses it is okay, this is too much. And I need to back out. Now, the reason I said it's both fear of abandonment, it's because they leave before they're left, because they pull away, because they're afraid they're going to lose their integrity, their independence. Also the control in a way as well, right? And the control. It's really interesting you say that um, because uh, I have a friend who's very obsessed with <laughs> attachment styles and uh, she was, I would say she was dating someone who was avoidant and she has an anxious, well, according to her, she has an anxious style and she says that I will never date someone who has an avoidant attachment style. I need to look someone who has the same traumas and the same uh, style of attachment as me. It, do you think that's true? Like, you know, do certain attachment styles don't work? Or is it that like, we have to find someone who has a secure attachment so that they can help us heal from our attachments as well? So, so, you know, if two anxiously attached people, they become enmeshed. (laughs) Yeah. And this happens a lot in lesbian relationships. They become too enmeshed too quickly. Interesting. So do you think a secure partner can help someone who has an anxious or an avoidant type heal their wounds as well? Is that a, can that be a possibility? Ideally, ideally, if you can find someone who's secure, you're in luck, right? But the thing is, most people who are securely attached are already paired off, (laughs) right? And the people who are on the apps are the anxious and the avoidant because the (laughs) apps create this perfect atmosphere where this game is played. It's just looking for things to avoid. Oh, this is, she's not good enough. Oh, no, she doesn't work out, uh, right? So they, they kind of can stay in their loop. Yeah, very interesting. So ideally, finding a secure partner. But the thing is, because you are used to that atmosphere that you grew up in, you're subconsciously attracted to the same atmosphere. So when you're attracted to someone, right, you're, you, you don't know, but they remind you of your parents. Now, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, this person will have a big part of whatever your parents had, but will have a bigger percentage of secure attachment. Hmm. So that actually kind of links to my next question, which is how does our attachment styles link to our relationships or the type of people that we seek out in relationships, which is kind of what you were mentioning right now about um, our parents. Exactly, because it's familiar when you get attracted mm. to someone. Do you know really why? You can Amazing. say, I, I like this about him, I like this about her, but really underneath it all, it's just they, there's a pull towards that person, right? Would you agree or no? No, definitely. And, you know, when I think the only times when we change that is when we become aware of it. When when we're not aware of it, we definitely seek it. But I think the only time we understand that we need a secure partner is when we change the way we think about that, if that makes sense. So, you know, 
a lot of theorists and people say, you know, you can heal your attachment by finding a secure person. Right. But I disagree and many people disagree as well. You know, it, it does help to find a secure attachment, but if you're very insecure, you're going to ruin the relationship with the secure attachment. Because, you know, the secure attachment, the reason an insecure attached person will heal with a secure attachment person is because this person will, when one part is screaming too much, the other person will respond and calm it. So then the, mm -hmm. the insecure attached is going to say, okay, you know, this person is secure. I don't have to keep yelling too much, right? right. Well, I don't have to be avoiding because this person, when I ask her for space, she doesn't keep launching at me. She gives me my space so then I can come closer to her. So in those instances, it does help. But ultimately, like I said, it's your connection to self. If you're single because you've had too many bad relationships, which is really, it's those attachment wounds coming up and being repeated. It's really your relationship to yourself. When you mm. become, while you're starting to date, you know, it's not that you don't date, you date, but you notice yourself how you're behaving, how you're feeling towards this person. You know, this is just another person you're going on a date with. Why are you idealizing them? Why are you rushing into it? So you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be so, like, you know, love feelings. Uh, when you're, you start dating someone you like, you've got all the hormones, all the feel-good hormones, the oxytocin comes up, and this clouds your judgment. And this is all happening on the subconscious level, which is related to the attachment theory. Like Stan Tatkin says in his the book, Wired for Love or Wired for Dating. These are two books I highly recommend for people. If you're starting to date, it's called Wired for Dating. It's based on attachment styles and how you can uh, understand the other person's attachment and your attachment while you're dating to see if you guys are a good fit and how to make it work or know when it's time to give up. It's really about your connection to feeling safe with yourself. Once mm -hmm. you feel safe and sure of yourself, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. If someone doesn't call you or calls too much, this doesn't threaten you. You know how to do boundaries. You know how to feel safe with yourself. Absolutely. And we'll definitely get more into kind of what's at the heart of a secure attachment. But I, I do want to touch upon one more thing, which is about being fearful of love, but also, or always wanting to be in a relationship. I feel like, you know, you do see, although this is kind of overgeneralizing, but you do see these two types of characteristics. Like I see people who, whenever you see them, they're never single, like they're always in a relationship, but then there's others that are never in a relationship. Does this again, link back to our childhood and our attachment styles? Of course it does. So, and it's a lot to do with experience. So there are people who feel like they've, they've been coached as children to be people pleasers, to be around people, to always be dynamic. And those people, they always want to be in relationship and they always get into relationships. Now how, uh, so there's this love addict 
profile. And this is someone who's always getting in and out of relationships. They can't, they, they're afraid of being alone. Really, that's what it comes down to. So they, they're always in relationships. They have this persona that is very attractive and very dynamic. And so they, they're always in relationships. Some of them might get to an extreme and the love addict becomes like, if the love addict gets into a relationship with an avoidant, okay, what happens with the love addict is they have a, something we call fantasy. So they, let's say the, the person gives them a little bit of attention mm-hmm. and then they, they go all the way. They start imagining they're in love, they're going to get married, they start cyber-stalking <laughs> the person they 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 might have a small relationship and the other person breaks up with them and like their whole lifetime 10 years later they're still pining mm. and this is a love addict so this is severe attachment to one person but i mean that's what our society teaches us in a way right does i mean is severe attachment to one person is that the same as being in love with just one person love is a complicated topic right yeah like in social media and i mean in movies it's not real what they portray as love absolutely now the fearful of love it's the avoidance style right so they do want intimacy and they seek it but then they run away from it when they get it Mm. that's why i was saying the apps are perfect for that you know you go you date someone for a bit and then you move on to the next person and then the next person the next one yeah it's almost reinforcing that kind of behavior and like applauding them or giving them the incentive to keep that kind of behavior going rather than addressing you know why is it that they have to behave in that way because like you said i also believe the same thing i believe everybody wants to feel safe i believe everybody wants to be loved and love as well hopefully at least the majority of us anyway so um i i definitely do think that having a bit more compassion towards people that may not fit our attachment styles is important and mm. i think which is also why this topic is important because once you're aware that People act in certain ways, not because they're bad people, but because that is what they're familiar with. It really changes the way you also um, build a relationship with that person or with those people. Now, now you could be also anxiously attached and then get into a bad relationship and become fearful of love. Like being scared to get into a serious relationship again and always mm-hmm. finding faults and feeling safe alone. So that's why when we were talking before, I told you your attachment style changes through your life. It's not like, you know, you're born with this environment and then it stays. It can move according to your relationships you go through in your life. However, your base will be the original one, like your, um, how shall I call it, your the one from childhood, yeah, your, your, you know, your, your go back to is always the one you were born with. Very interesting. Yeah. So if I, you, I if definitely... you get in, in a relationship with someone who's too anxious, of course, you're going to try to avoid it a little bit. It's too much. <laughs> and if you were someone who's too avoidant, you might become a little bit anxious. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very true. You do kind of adapt, right? Um, and it's not just set in stone for, but like you were saying, the goal is to 
change that, right? To heal that, which I believe from your work, um, I know that it is possible. So as my kind of, you know, final topic or question here, I want to talk about what is at the heart of a secure attachment. And you were mentioning something I found very interesting earlier about, it's about being safe with yourself. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering that probably it has a lot to do with um, worthiness or maybe self-worth or just that uh, connection that you have with yourself rather than your partner or somebody else. So in internal family systems, you know, there's, it talks about different parts inside of us. Mm -hmm. And there's the child part, like I was talking about the inner child that holds the insecure attachment style. And when this inner part, inner child part, does not have their needs met, they act out. They act mm -hmm. out in love addiction, in being afraid of love, in anxious styles. And the, the, the reality is, is that no matter how much someone else will come to you to make you feel secure, the only person who can make you feel secure is you. So this is where inner child work happens. And like you said, you have to be secure with yourself. And that's how you become secure with yourself, is by you paying attention to your inner child screaming. And instead of letting the inner child scream come out of the adult person to the other, the husband or the wife or the boyfriend, first you hear your own call and you assure this little girl inside, I'm here. We're not six years anymore, six years old. Nobody's going to abandon us. I'm here for you. So then when you give yourself this secure connection, then when you relate to someone else, you relate from a place of self-esteem, self-respect, affection, mm -hmm. and real love and kindness to the other person. And, you know, mutual loving relationships are based on that, mm -hmm. being interested in the other person's well-being and not wanting something too much from the other person. And when you really give from true unconditional love, you get unconditional love without expecting it in return. So this is how it comes. Wow. I, I definitely agree with you. I think that self-worthiness is super important because unfortunately, when we are deprived as children from whatever form of you know love in whatever shape or form, we sometimes do feel we're not worth it, right? We don't feel good enough. And And that kind of, like you said, can come out in certain types of behavior, even like addictive behavior, because we are, you know, our bodies, we crave that it's missing. Something is missing, right? So we, we crave that. So it's just about bringing back the sense of worthiness. And as you mentioned, becoming uh, more and deeply connected to our inner child and, you know, feeling that we can accept love and we can set boundaries and yeah. we can share our vulnerable feelings and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. You share your vulnerability from a place of security and not from a place of blame or attacking the other person. So this, this, this helps build a healthier, more uh, equal, more sincere, more unconditional love, non-manipulative. Non 
Absolutely. So Nasreen, as the actual final question, if there were three things that you can tell someone who's looking to, you know, they're quite aware of their attachment style and they're looking to change that or they're looking to heal from it and become more secure, what are kind of three main things that they can do? And they can even, it can even be something like reading a book or it could actually be like an activity, whatever you feel uh, or that you share in your practices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, the number one, I would say, is inner child work. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's a lot of meditations online. You can slowly feel connected to the little child inside of you. The little child holds the emotions, and mm-hmm. this way you understand your own emotions and you talk to the inner child, the wounded, neglected, um, rejected, uh, didn't get her needs met little child. You connect to her because what happens is. Things that happen today trigger the inner child long time ago, right? So, so this is the first thing is you can find a lot of meditations online about inner child work. Second one really is there's this, this good book by, like I said, Stan Tatkin. And why I like it? Because it's small and mm-hmm. to the point, and it has a lot of practical tools you can do while you're dating. And I know now many people are dating or in new relationships. So he has two books. Wired for dating and then wired for love. So, like I said, the new, he talks about the neural wiring and how to change it so that you can date and fall in love. That's another tool, the book. And then the third one really is to really have an amazing relationship with yourself first. And how is it? Is to understand your needs to eat healthy to sleep, to exercise, to be connected to nature, to be part of a book club. All these things help you shine. And when you shine, you're giving yourself your needs. So you're not, you don't really want them from someone else. And you're not neglecting yourself like, like the avoided who, who usually they neglect themselves and they overwork, right? So that you can get your needs met and then you can shine from the inside out. Wow. Nasreen, it has been so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing such beautiful tips with us. You know, everyone is worthy of love, compassion, and understanding. Again, I really appreciate your input, and this talk has been very insightful. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate being invited and all your work that you're doing, helping all the people. Thank you, Sierra. Thank you, Nasreen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your podcast hosting site, and we'll catch you again next week.